Our Heavenly Father, with joy and gladness, your people have gathered to celebrate this harvest day and also to glorify your name for 15 years of faithfulness since the beginning of this chapel. Lord, we pray that with the same joy and gladness, your word will be received, O Lord, that your children will be edified very strongly, and that no one will live here empty-handed. In all that we think and say and do, may your name be glorified, may your children be edified, and may the evil one be horrified. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I would like to express my profound gratitude to our Father in the Lord here, the Venerable Professor Sam Ike, and the Harvest Committee for inviting me to come and share this moment with you. It is indeed a day of joy. Looking at what we have experienced already, it is very clear that the Lord has been with us. Words of prophecy have gone out, especially from the mouth of no less a servant of God as the Venerable Professor N.S. four, who has ministered and asked that God would do great and mighty things in the life of his children. With this joy that we receive the goodness of the Lord, we need to come before him. But first, let's look at the word, the word that God has given us. And I want to glorify God's name because there are gems in this word that I believe the Heavenly Father would love us to go home with. When we look at the word of God, the Old Testament reading we had, there was something very pervasive in all of their giving. They brought everything needed for the construction of the tent of tabernacle of meeting. And in each of their giving, whether it was clothing material, or silver, or gold, or bronze, or copper, or iron, everything was given in superabundance. There was nothing lacking. But the pervasive thing also was that they gave willingly from the depth of their heart. They knew that the Lord had touched them. He had set them free from slavery. He had brought them out of darkness into his wonderful light. He has anointed them and made them the envy of the nations around them. They had nothing else to offer to God than whatever God had already given unto them. And that is why as we come before the Lord today, may we do so to his glory and may we magnify his name as we do that. And as we offer our thanksgiving to the Lord in this harvest time, may we do it with joy and 
gladness knowing what the Lord has done for us. The second reading was from the New Testament. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Beginning at verse 1. I wanted us to look at an incredible irony that is here presented. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Anybody looking at this would think that the author was confused. If you make this kind of statement in a law court, you have lost your case. The fact is obvious that there is no way you can talk of an intense, unmitigated affliction and suffering and make that with superfluous, overflowing and superfluous joy. It's not possible. But these people had it because they were under the spirit of God. They were not led by the spirit of man. They were not walking in the flesh. But because they were in the spirit, their suffering, their pain, their anger, their losses, their persecution did not prevent them from having the joy of the Lord, which is the strength of the people of God. So they were overflowing with joy in the midst of their suffering. But again, another paradox, or you can call that another irony. He says, in the midst of their deep poverty, poverty that was unmitigated, poverty that spoke volumes, that they overflowed with the riches of their liberality. Can you fathom that? I want us to think about this. That's why the Lord talked about the woman that was called the widow and who gave her might because she gave everything. Liberality of the heart. But then, what is the basis for our giving, our thanksgiving, our harvest, and our stewardship? First, the Lord says that all souls belong to him. Ezekiel 18.4 The soul of the father as the soul of the son all souls are his and the soul that saints shall die. In Psalm 24 verse 1 we read that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell therein. The whole earth is his. In Psalm 50 verse 10 he says I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Nature belongs to him. In Haggai chapter 2 verse 8, we read that all the silver and gold belong to him. In other words, our measure of our wealth on earth here, everything belongs to him. And then in Leviticus chapter 25 verse 23, he said that land will not be sold forever because all land belongs to God. What does that leave us with? Precious nothing. 
We come into this world with nothing. We go with nothing. I was privileged when our second daughter was being born to witness because it was by selective, selective C-section. So the American doctors allowed me to come in with a camera to watch how she would be cut open and then to watch how they will remove the baby. And I saw our daughter coming out. The first thing I saw was coming out with a black power salute. Clenched fist. Children often come into the world with clenched fist. You don't know, but they have nothing in their hands. But you don't know as it unfolds what God will do. But when one dies, no more clenched fist. Your face is open. And everyone sees it. Even Alexander the Great said that his hands should be allowed to fly open as they are carrying his corpse in procession through the road. So that people will know that he came into the world with nothing and he was living with nothing. What other things or benefits do we derive from God? Our health, our life, our wealth, our families, the love that flows among us, sound mind, good friends, peace of heart and mind, material and spiritual blessings of all sorts. Think about the most important things in life, the sunlight, air, and water, all are free from God. Without the sunlight, there will be no life on earth. Without water, we will all die. And we will not even have anything that we can hang on to. Without air, of course, there is no life. Can you then imagine if NNPC were the distributors of air? and water, and sunlight. Will any of us be alive today? No. God gave us all this free of charge. That was why the psalmist in Psalm 116, verse 12, I was going to sing that, but we sung it a couple of times. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? And because of all these marvelous things God has done for us, what should be our attitude as we present our gift to the Lord and as we live our lives? Number one, the attitude we must possess, gratitude, thankfulness. First Thessalonians 5.18 commands us, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God concerning you. Number two, recognize that God is the giver. All good and wonderful things come from God. James 1, 17. Number three, testify to God's goodness in all things. Deuteronomy 26 says, as we come before him, we shall tell of the things he's done for us. Number four, Develop the right sense of value for physical and spiritual things. Remember that Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 that the Lord Jesus quoted when he was tempted. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, it is not the physical things we eat 
or relate with that keep us alive. It is the very word of God. Because we came with nothing into the world and we are living and going with nothing. The greatest investment we can ever do is what we invest in the house of God. What we invest in mission. What we invest in evangelism. What we invest in making sure that the world that God has created is full of the compassion of God, the mercifulness of God, and the goodness of God. These things should exude from our life, and our life, like an effluent river, should water anywhere and everywhere we set our foot. Man shall not live by bread alone. Therefore, develop, number one, the right priorities. Two, change orientation. Three, right perspective of life and things. The right kind of mindset. The father of Alexander the Great was the only monarch I have ever read that did this. He paid somebody to literally every day tell him something. And what was it? Every day the king got up, he was there to tell him. To tell him, O king, remember that you shall die. One day you will die. Try to tell that to a governor. SSS people will get you. Or to a president. But this was the king. King Philip II of Macedon. Knowing that you are going to die. What do you do with what God has given to you? Fifth. Don't hoard God's blessings. Proverbs 11.24 tells us. There are those who tend to give away everything they have and yet they become rich. But there are those who try to keep everything they have. That is, they get all they can and then can all they get. And yet they tend to poverty. God wants us to be an open source of blessings. What God wants us to be is a channel, a pipeline. Where he's getting blessings inside, we are giving it out on the other side. But if we block that place, the pipe can only handle a finite amount and he will stop giving us. That is the difference between the Dead Sea and other seas in the world. The Dead Sea is the heaviest body of water on earth. The Dead Sea is the most polluted sea on earth. The Dead Sea is the most filthy sea on earth. Why? Because it receives, but it doesn't give away. Let us not be like the Dead Sea. God wants open channels, rivers of living water flowing, not lakes. And don't be like the rich fool that Jesus talked about, who was only thinking of himself and how to amass wealth. He didn't know he was going to die without enjoying any of it. And then, what will this teach us? For instance, from what we've seen so far, before we end up with how then we must give. Think about the Good Samaritan story. There are three perspectives that are here. Three principles of learning. 
A man was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was attacked by armed robbers. Today not only armed robbers. Fulani headsmen are doing the same job. And they are doing much worse than armed robbers. Because I've never heard that armed robbers rape men and children. These Fulani headsmen rape men, rape women, rape animals and rape children. I've never seen a more horrifying picture than what we are seeing in Nigeria today. But this man was left for dead after he was beaten. A priest came by, saw him, and passed on the other side. A Levite came, saw him, and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, a man who was supposedly untouchable, with regards to Jewish culture and religion. A man who was a non-entity. But he was wealthy though. But because he was a Samaritan. He was to be despised. He was to be cajoled. He was to be derided. He was to be castigated. He was to be alienated. He wasn't to be a part of the. And parcel of the family of God. He came. He saw. And he had compassion. Three different groups of people. Number one, people. The thief or the taker. What is their principle? What is yours is mine. I will take it. And that's the principle that most Nigerians, especially those in the government, operate by. Stealing the wealth belonging to all of us. Keeping it to themselves. The second principle. The selfish ones. The hoarder. The priest and the Levi. What is mine is mine. I will keep it to myself. But this is a principle of life and many children of God are operating on this principle. You might not be a thief, but you are operating on the principle of the hoarder. The keeper of God's blessings. What is mine is mine. I'll keep it to myself. It's my money. It's my time. It's my wealth. It's my all. And then the final and glorious principle is that of the good Samaritan. The principle of the giver. What is mine is yours. I will give it. And this is the very principle that God expects all of us to operate by. What is mine is yours. That's what God expects of us. And that's why we read in Acts of the Apostles chapter 20 verse 35. That the Lord Jesus said, Christ said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When I was very young, many years ago, when I finished my bachelor's degree and decided to veer from mining engineering to metallurgical and materials engineering, I chose a professor of engineering that had earned every honor an American engineer could earn as my supervisor, Professor Fosnow. But because of his prowess in the field, I asked him, 
Professor Fosternor, could you kindly tell me what your philosophy of life or principle for living has been that brought you to this situation? He said simply, Nedu, that's what they called me, Nedu, Nedu. It's simple. In every situation I find myself, I try to give much more than I take. Professor Fosternal wasn't a devout evangelical Christian. No. But was living by that principle of giving much more than he took. And that was what got him to his position. Even professionally. In every situation to give much more than I take. And then how should we then give? Number one. Give joyfully. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7. We read that God loveth a cheerful giver. It is not the cheerful miser. Because some people are cheerful misers. God is looking for cheerful givers. Many years ago, or decades ago rather. A man in the day that one naira was the biggest note. Gave his son one naira and ten copper coin. And asked him, when the offering plate is passed around, put whichever comes to your heart for God. And he was eyeing his little boy. As the offering plate came, the boy brought the one naira, brought the ten copper, switched the one naira and the ten copper in hand, and put the ten copper in the offering plate, and pocketed the one naira. At the end of the service. The dad was so embarrassed then. That he said. Son why did you do this? I gave you one naira. I gave you ten kobo. And you gave God only ten kobo. The boy said he was only obeying. What the preacher said. And the father said. What did the preacher say? And he said. The Lord loveth a cheerful giver. And then the dad asked. And then he said, Daddy, I felt more cheerful to give ten kobo than to give one naira. It is not that kind of cheerfulness. That's a cheerful miser. God loveth a cheerful giver. And the Greek word for that held from hilari, hilarious. One that comes with joy and gladness overflowing like these Macedonian Christians. It's not when you come and dance 10,000 Naira dance, you put 100 Naira in the plate. No! I wish we had wardens who will evaluate the quantity and quality of your dance. And as you come, they place the amount you should place in the offering. Incidentally, we don't have that. So please, give, give, and give hilariously or joyfully. Number two, give bountifully. Second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6 says, He that soweth sparingly will also reap sparingly. But he that soweth bountifully will reap bountifully. Think about the seed here. What you get eventually, all things being equal, is a larger proportion of the quantity and quality of yam you plant. If you do mini sets, you can only produce sedium from mini sets. 
bountifully. Galatians 6 verse 8 says, Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that also will he reap. Next, give proportionately. Give proportionately. In other words, if you have a million naira and you say you are giving God a tithe of 10,000 naira, you have not given God anything. Tithe is 10%. If you had a billion naira and you gave God 10 million naira, you have given him nothing. But many people don't realize that. You give proportionately to what you have or what the Lord has given to you. And I have examples, but I won't belabor you with that. Number four, give with consideration of the need in the church of God. I know you have projects. Think about them as you give. If you haven't thought of giving for them and you remember it, as you give or bring your harvest, put a note that you're going to give more and the Lord will bless you superabundantly for that. And he said in Haggai chapter 1, because my house is left desolate and you live in your own houses, I have created holes in your pocket so that everything you earn, you will not know how it disappears. May that not be our portion in Jesus' name. May we have sealed pockets that anything we put there stays and as we bring out to give to the Lord, he will multiply our blessings in Jesus' name. Number five, give with a gift sacrificially. And that's a portion of the scripture that I feel so wonderful about and humbled. King David, who had an opportunity to take anything he had to sacrifice unto the Lord. You can look at that at 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. But there was something he said. When the owner of the threshing floor and the barn and everything offered him everything he needed for his sacrifice to appease the heart of God to stop the plague against the people. He said, no, Arona. I will not take it from you free of charge. I will pay you a fair market value. For I will not offer unto the Lord my God a sacrifice that costs me nothing. As you come before the Lord today, ask yourself, what I am bringing to God, does it cost me something? Do I have something left out there? And out of my convenience, and out of my surplusage, I am giving trickles to the Lord. Ask yourself, are you giving him a sacrifice that costs you nothing? In the presence of the work of the Lord? In the presence of the projects of the church and the body of Christ? Are you, or are you giving unto him a sacrifice that costs you something? And then, finally, number six. Expect blessings from God as you give. Because your giving is like sowing. As you sow, the Lord will multiply. There are those who have tried that. 
my own life is so full of that that I could give testimonies upon testimonies of how we, my wife and I, have inconvenienced ourselves to give to the glory of God. And within a few weeks, we had more than ten times what we had given. Easily. Over and over again it has happened. And I know that many children of God can attest to that. Luke chapter 6 verse 38 says, Give and it shall be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over, shall men pour into your bosom. You are not going to go out looking for it. It will be poured into your bosom because you are a giver. Malachi 3, 10 to 12. The Lord says, can a man rob God? But you have robbed me in tithes and offerings. Bring in the tithes and the offerings and fulfill your vows and say if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out to you such an abundance and surplusage of blessings that you will not have enough room to store. This is God speaking. And then Philippians Chapter 4, verse 19, where the Apostle Paul said, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He didn't say from his riches. He says according to, that is proportionate to, why do we keep inviting the same givers to come and give? Because they have tested and known that God is good. That the more they give, the more they receive. And they are not holding back. J.C. Penny, who owns the, one of the mightiest chain stores in America, was asked the question once. Mr. Penny, when will you ever stop giving? He said, I will never stop giving until God stops giving me. And I know he will never stop giving me. Think about that. The Vanderbilt family, the grandson of a Vanderbilt, multi-millionaire, the owners of Vanderbilt University, he fired a vice president of a company for forgetting to pay corporate tight. In other words, their companies were set up not only for the individuals to pay tight, but even the company was paying tight. From their profit. Think about that. Is there any wonder that God blesses givers? So as we come today. Remember that God loves a cheerful giver. I don't know. God has blessed you super abundantly. Your life. Your time. Your health. It's true that some of us may say we are not the strongest we can be. But think of it. If you go to the mortuary, you will be grateful to God. If you go to the traumatology department of the orthopedic hospital, you will be grateful to God. A brother lost his daughter two weeks ago. How much was he paying at Memphis for the intensive care? 150,000 naira every day. How come we wait for calamity to befall us before we come and give thanksgiving? Why not first calculate, God, I didn't go to hospital. This month, I'll give to you. Lord, I wasn't admitted in the hospital. I will give thanksgiving. 
Lord, I wasn't involved in that accident. I will give thanksgiving. Why do we wait until we have that accident and almost maimed before we remember to thank God? There was a young woman in France. She was blind. And at the end of the year, before the year began, she asked people, how much does it cost to buy paraffin, paraffin oil, as light every night? And they told her. Every night she put the money away. And at the end of the year, she gave all that money to the Lord. And the pastor was stunned because she had given more than rich people. And she said simply, I don't need the light. The money I would have used for the light is better I give it to the Lord. And another woman in a village somewhere was known for one thing. Every harvest day, she brought the fattest, biggest chicken to the Lord. How did she accomplish this feat for decades? From January, she would look at the chicken that are there. She will now pick out the one that had the potential for growth. And every day, she will give that chicken more food. When others are coming to eat from that place, she will drive them away. And at the end, everybody will be looking. They will discover all the other chicken and so on. By the end of the year, is such a robust chicken. This is a village woman who knew that Jesus deserves the best. I will not offer unto the Lord my God a sacrifice that costs me nothing. Shall we bow for a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. You have blessed us so very much. Blessings we could never buy with money. Gifts that only you have and can give. Favors we could never get from the world without your instrumentation. Joys that are overflowing. Love that money or wealth or position could never acquire. Happiness that the most flamboyant people in the world do not know. Because theirs comes from things and possessions, not from the heart. You've given us much. As we present our gift to you this morning, Lord. Remind us of all these things you have given to us freely. But above all, according to your word that we first present ourselves to you, give ourselves as a gift to you. And then we will now realize that everything else we own belongs to you. And so, Lord, help us. So that we will not insult you by our giving. Help us. So that we will give commensurately to what you have given us. Help us. So that with joy and gladness. We will learn to be. Give us and not hold us. We will freely give what you have given. And in so doing. Your name may be glorified. And because we believe you have granted our request. We say may all glory. And honor. And dominion. And power. And majesty and might, and adoration, and praise, and thanksgiving, be ascribed unto your holy name, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, 
one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.